Hi, I'm Raina Green. I'm a curator at the uh, National Museum of American History and one of the two co-curators of Julia Child's Kitchen at the Smithsonian. <laughs> uh, Julia's Kitchen has been up since 2002 when we collected it in 2001, just, uh, just before Julia left her kitchen, uh, downsized, as she liked to say, instead of retired, and went out to Santa Barbara. And the, the kitchen has been up except for the two um, uh, years in which we were closed for renovations. But I have to tell you, and when I see the crowd here today, I, I'm probably not telling you anything, uh, we've begun calling the kitchen the eighth station of the cross. Uh, it's extraordinary. It, we, people make the religious pilgrimage. They've been making it since, 19, since 2002. Every day the kitchen is jammed. And people always ask me the question, and I think we'll sort of talk about that when we talk about this um, wonderful photograph of Julia. Uh, what is it? I mean, the, a six foot two, actually she was six foot three, she lied about her height, most of her, the official figures were six foot two, but she was six foot three. And her sister, if you've seen the movie, Dora, uh, Dorothy, or Dort, as everybody called her, was actually six five, not six four. So we we got some, we got some tall, an unlikely star. Uh, she was not a great beauty, although if you see earlier pictures of her, she was really quite stunning, and you can understand why five foot nine Paul Child <laughs> was enchanted with her. But she is a most unlikely star in America. She was gawky, she was froggy voiced. Uh, uh, everybody who comes into the gallery, by the way, does the Julia voice, you know. She, it's, it's become an icon of American humor and life. Everyone knows that, that extraordinary voice. Um, a very unlikely star, yet the day she appeared in a dorky little talking head on one of the first education, we called it educational TV back then, at WGBH in Boston. The uh, producer of that show, Russ Morash, who's the current producer of This Old House and other things that you, he went on to, he was the science guy at WGBH, and he went on, besides producing all the series of The French Chef, went on to produce other wonderful things. But Educational TV was, as Julia told us, just a bunch of talking heads. You know, it was book reviews. And she went on to do, they asked her to do a book review of her new and very important book, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which, by the way, right now is in its 32nd week of being on the top 10 lists in the New York Times. <laughs> Go figure. Um, uh, she did this little book review and she thought she'd just jazz it up a little bit. So she, instead of just taking the book, she took um, a wonderful French copper bowl, uh, a dozen eggs, uh, a large whisk, which becomes almost an important icon in American life. <laughs> when Julia started using the whisk on TV, by the way, Chuck Williams of Williams-Sonoma said she made him a fortune uh, because all these things he was trying to sell around America and weren't sell they weren't selling suddenly became a hot hit. She made an omelet um, right on, on WGBH, and Russ Morash, the producer, told me that the phones... Uh, they had a switchboard then. The switchboard lit up and it never stopped. 
and thus a star was born. What Julia did for public television in America, which is sort of not known, really was to reform this very nerdy, dorky, educational TV medium into that wonderful combination, which every teacher knows well, which is extraordinary entertainment, but with, with knowledge and with enormous flair. And she became the unlikely TV star of, of early public television and, and went on to write book after book after book and become a real star on live um, uh, live cooking demonstrations and everything. She was on the Today Show for years. Excuse me, Good Morning America. Oh, they'll kill me. Uh, uh, she became a public presence in America. And, and what you see on the TV, on the reruns, on all the videos, uh, uh, in the hundreds and hundreds of photographs of her, and you see it in this place. You see somebody who... Uh, transformed uh, an America that was used to these with her great teaching skills and that's what she always said she was by the way not a chef not um, uh, not a cook but a, a teacher and she transformed it with her teaching skills into what we now know is perhaps the the monster <laughs> the food network most people most people will tell you most of these star chefs and everybody will tell you Julia did it. It was Julia. Without that presence and showing people what could be done on television and what could be done through, other, through live media, she made that uh, come alive. And she came onto public television, into the public eye, at a time when Americans really in the post-World War II generations were not very interested in, in uh, foreign uh, influences on America. They were not interested in much of anything that didn't come out of a box or out of a silver tray that you <laughs> defrosted and put in, a, put in an oven. Um, they really were very resistant uh, to all of these things that Julia, in her enormous enthusiasm for uh, not only for the France that she came to love, but for the food that she came to love, and, and yet she turned it around um, it, it, at a moment in American life, right around 1961, 60, 63, the World's Fair in Long Island features um, a, the French Pavilion, which turned into that the renaissance of French restaurants in New York. The Kennedys are in the White House with their passion for um, things European, and yet she took that and turned it into the public face of what um, what American cooking could be, and went on after that to to really focus on not only on American cooking but on the great cooks in America from all kinds of communities, uh, and 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 transformed all sorts of things. And what we see in this portrait, and, and I I I love this, is a classic photo by David Marlin in 1971. This is when she's doing the second series of the French Chef in color, although his his portrait is in black and white. He was a cameraman for NBC, and he was filming a, 
uh, news uh, uh, story on Julia. Uh, some of you may remember Hughes Rudd, the distinguished commentator. Some of you are old enough to know. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, as a cameraman, he often took stills of his, his um, of the people he was shooting. And so he took this little, uh, it, it's really a, a little candid still of Julia as everybody knows her. The wonderful thing uh, uh, about Julia, as everybody knows her on TV, she is tasting the vinaigrette. She's tasting the salad dressing. This was an episode on salad and the mixed salad the, uh, uh, that we all now know as common. By the way, the salads in, uh, well, in 71, they might have transformed, but it was pretty much iceberg lettuce in that ghastly orange stuff that you get out of a bottle, which I actually have a little secret love for occasionally. But she is tasting the back of the salad as, as French home cooks do by dipping the end of the spoon into the dressing and tasting it. Of course, the other thing that people loved about Julia was that she was not above just sticking her finger in, <laughs> two fingers as chefs do it actually, and, and, and tasting it. She was on television and live what she was in person, signing your book. Thousands and thousands would come to her and, and do that. But she was the same on the television screen and, and in, as she was in person. And I've, I've really, over these years now, having watched people's reaction to her and been with her with crowds, uh, watched that that sort of marvelous moment in which the Julia that everybody approaches with, oh my goodness, it's Julia Child, you know, and she is licking her fingers in the salad dressing, is this moment at which um, you see the star become a part of, of the world that, that she helped make. People who just loved food and loved what she was doing and had an incredibly good time at it. And I think in this little picture, you can see all of that. It encapsulates in many ways just exactly what interested people about Julia because she was able to convey that, that passion and that sort of goofy craziness. Um, we don't have one of the other classic uh, pictures of her, of course, uh, of which there are hundreds, mostly taken by her husband, Paul, by the way, the lovely photographer. Most of the ones that I've seen on the set were taken by Paul. If you've seen the movie, it's a pretty true picture of their relationship. Um, she always said it, without him, there would be no, no Julia Child. Um, he would take the pictures of her, of course, in everybody's image of Julia as tipsy chef, you know, drinking out of the wine glass. Um, on the early shows, by the way, it wasn't uh, wine. It really wasn't wine. On the first part of The French Chef, it was a gravy master, this horrible concoction of gravy master and, and uh, water that looked like red wine on TV. They just used water for the white wine. When they went to color, she went to real wine. <laughs> she was able to do that. But Julia was never tipsy on the shows. She was just full of that kind of uh, crazy goofiness all along. Paul said she was a real ham, and she was. She, everything was not done for effect. It was because it entertained her. 
And that's another one of the secrets of stars that we know. If they're happy, you're going to be happy. You're going to love it. And in that moment, she can do something strange. She can, as, as the mythology says, she never dropped the chicken and picked it back up. She did, she did uh, uh, drop things from time to time, and people love that about her. Or she'd spill something on the stove, and she would look out at the audience and say, you know, don't, don't worry. You're alone in the kitchen, you know, or, or whoops, I, I made a mistake, you know. I, I love the ones where she makes the omelet and it sort of flops over and she just tosses it in back of her. There was, by the way, under the table there, what you don't see is the staff who, in the old cooking show day, are sitting on the floor ready to hand her something or ready to catch the flying omelet or the, the batter that goes backwards. But she is having a great time. Uh, she is exactly where she wants to be, and the cameramen and the, and the photographers who shot her shot exactly those moments over and over and over again, and, and examining all those portraits really does tell us that, that they're true, I mean, because we don't see any variation in them. We see someone having a wonderful time and enjoying what she's doing, um, from the simplest thing, making a salad, uh, to to uh, uh, something much more complicated. By the way, were any of you uh, doing that thing in August after the movie came out where you, there were people who were having bouffe bourguignon parties all over the country. <laughs> yeah. People would call us and say, we're having, or email us and say, we're having a bouffe bourguignon party. Um, uh, God knows in August why anybody would want to make bouffe bourguignon is beyond me. But nevertheless, in homage to Julia, uh, she loved that and conveyed that passion, I think, and, that, and that's what we see in these, in, these, in these wonderful photographs. It's what we see in uh, every video of her. It is that animation that comes from um, the joy of doing, doing what she was doing, uh, which was teaching uh, in, in that sense. There is no... Um, there's no hair and makeup pose. Uh, there is absolutely no guile in what she was doing. But she knew to do all the sort of silly things that she did would entertain people and, and make them happy. And she was not above a, a really low shot either. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite uh, pieces of hers are when she makes a whole roast suckling pig. And in the end, she shows you how to tuck the tail just um, in the back of the pig. And she says, it, well, look, there's this little convenient place to put the tail, <laughs> you know. So she knew she could have fun with the audience, and she knew that she knew that worked. Those phones never stopped ringing. And in all the portraits of her, you can really, you can begin to see that. But I think we also see the other thing that, I, I do believe she taught us here, which was to care about the food we put in our mouths. We, we began to see people pay attention. Uh, she never was a snob, by the way, about the food. She used uh, what she could get on American grocery shelves, which was not the same as what you get in the French markets. Um, she had some ordinary favorites of things, uh, and she would tell people about them. But she would also tell people about uh, things that they weren't eating and, and that were strange to them. Uh, her grocer in, in Cambridge used to say that, you know, if Julia served 
broccoli, you know, on the evening show, he would be sold out of broccoli, by the, you know, by the end. That big old whisk, uh, which she introduced to us, you know, became a bestseller. And she loved to... She loved to pose with with giant versions of those things. We have any number of pictures, and we have some of her actual props from the TV show. She would get a giant whisk this big. Uh, she would get, uh, you know, a huge knife. It, I call it my fright knife, dearie. <laughs> this gigantic knife. And, and do total slapstick uh, with them because she knew they would get attention. And yet at the same time, she was teaching us to use the good chef's knives and teaching us to use, the, you know, the correct paring knife and, and, and tools that would help us actually make something better. So I, I, I think what I want to stress is that I like the ordinariness of what we see here. This is not a picture of, this is not a glamour shot. And in fact, um, there are very few glamour shots of Julia. Uh, they're usually of her, uh, just like this, tasting something, cooking something, enjoying something, and, and, and bringing us into that circle. I like the intimacy of it, and, and that's what you get. When it, I, it's remarkable to us when people come into the kitchen. They stand in these crowds, and it gets, it gets really crowded. Uh, they talk to each other. It's a kitchen, after all. And, and they comment on what they have that Julia did. They talk to each other. They tell jokes. They do the Julia voice. They accept the intimacy that she created. And, of course, the kitchen is filled with her voice. I mean, really, her voice. Uh, even the labels, uh, some of them are in her voice. Uh, and, and you're surrounded by that world that she created for us, which seems to still have an audience. And I think that persistence tells us that we want that, um, that authenticity. We want that openness, that intimacy that, uh, that she lets us have. It, it ain't the red carpet. It's not the glamour shot. It's no, nothing but, um, but Julia Child. And, and, and it's nothing but a kitchen, but it's Julia's kitchen. It's nothing but, it's a bowl of salad, people. <laughs> but um, she actually taught us how to make that dressing. And, and uh, I'm grateful for it. I, you know, every day when I do a vinaigrette, I'm, 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 uh, I'm happy that I, I learned it from Julia, even though cooking from Mastering the Art of French Cooking when I was... Uh, 26, and trying to impress my graduate professor <laughs> uh, terrified me. But as Julia always told us, uh, if you do what I say, you, know, you just follow me and you can do it. And I think that's the you can do it moment that we see in all these portraits, and I'm, I'm thrilled. The, uh, the, the gallery, by the way, has several others of Julia. They're two beautiful Hans Neumann uh, silver prints of her and Paul. There's a, uh, a very funny, uh, quirky portrait, which you probably, um, I can't remember the guy, Boris, uh, um, it was painted for Time. Time. She was on the cover of Time, and it's got a fish and all these other things around her. So they have quite a, a few nice, nice things of of uh, of our girl. And 
and then you can come over to American history and see more. And if you really want to see more, you can go up to Schlesinger Library at Radcliffe where all her papers are and where all of Paul's photographs are. And we're seeing more of them right now because of the interest in her uh, published. And so you bit by bit, you're seeing all of these things uh, sort of appear years later, years after the fact, because she still has that kind of, that kind of resonance. So I know you're all going to go home and whip up an omelet or a vinaigrette. I still can't do the omelet right. It, it still comes out like scrambled eggs, but I know she's watching. <laughs> yeah. So what caused you, or how did you decide to include the, the audio? I mean, to me, the exhibit is made because of the yeah. show. Her the, presence, yeah. The, the yeah. snapshot. So how did you decide to do that? And you've done, what, there's two of them, right? There are two, two, two videos. One of them, there's a quite long one, which people stay to see. It's 90 minutes, and it was oh, made for PBS. It. It's, <laughs> it's made for PBS, and you can buy it in the store, a little plug, <laughs> by her old producer, Jeff Drummond who's worked with us from the very beginning and been, been very kind to us. Uh, and he made that for PBS a number of years ago and just basically gave it to us. Uh, and it, it's a, a series of clips, not only from all of her career on television, but interviews with people like, you know, uh, uh, Martha Stewart and Alice Waters and uh, 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 Charlie Gibson, who was one of Julia's many, many, many boyfriends out there in the media. Julia had a real eye for the young gentleman, and she, <laughs> she had hundreds of boyfriends out there who really just loved her and would do all these wonderful uh, film clips for her. The other one we made um, uh, on a very, uh, very strange and amazing day on 9-11, uh, 2001. Uh, we were up there. We we uh, had agreed with her to do a video all day uh, interview of her in the kitchen with the stuff that she loved in the kitchen. We were about to take away and bring down here, and so we shot that all day with her old producers and old film crew, um, who really knew how to shoot her, and uh, me and. My uh, sister curator Paula Johnson are sitting at the kitchen table with her, and we are uh, talking all day with her. And what we did that day was really quite extraordinary. I think it's it's really wonderful. It's Julia up close and personal in a way that you aren't used to seeing, and just talking about her life in the kitchen and, and objects in it. And and uh, as she says, everything has a story, and so she's telling those stories. And what we did that day, we knew from the very beginning that morning we were setting up the cameras at 8.45 and uh, watching the news on her kitchen TV, which is in the gallery, by the way. The, the television is right there. And uh, when all the news started to come over, we realized rather quickly that we probably weren't going back to Washington. We could not phone here. We, we realized it was pretty much over. So... We uh, we decided we had to go ahead. We were all just a bunch of just weenies, but Julia said we needed to do our work. Uh, she uh, 
she knew too that we weren't going anywhere and, and we should just buckle down and do our work and we'd occasionally try to check in with our families and so we spent the whole day, um, this remarkable day, shooting that lovely, uh, lovely footage with her and we have basically five, uh, five hours or more of footage that was the last really long interview with her before her death in 2004. And, uh, we came and packed up the kitchen a month later, and, and that, that was it. But uh, it was uh, quite a day. It was quite a day. Uh, both Paula and I are folklorists by training, so it's our nature to do oral history. We, I, I, I can't collect an object if I'm not talking to the person who lived with it or made it. That's the story. I want, I want the, the things to have stories, and so that's what, it's just the way we do things. Who else? Yeah. What's the story behind the uh, glass wall that had the outlines of the pots and pans, and now you have the pots oh, and pans? Yes. Uh, when we asked Julia for the kitchen, and that is exactly how that happened, I saw an article in the New York Times saying she was going to leave and go back to Santa Barbara, and I picked up the phone and called her and said, um, Julia, can we have your kitchen? <laughs> sort of. I mean, sort of happened like that. And uh, uh, we, we knew her. We, we, we're foodies, and we hang around foodie crowds, and we knew her. And uh, she has a soft spot for the Smithsonian, by the way. She and Dylan, Ripley, Dylan and Mary Ripley, our old secretary and his wife, were in Ceylon in the OSS together. So she had a real sort of a soft spot for the Smithsonian, so we kind of felt we could ask these strange questions. And uh, before, literally, uh, other museum people had the same idea, and before we got to her for the whole kitchen, uh, some friends in California who were developing Copia, this uh, new museum out there, asked her for that signature wall of pots and pans. And so we packed it up and sent it to them. When we did that, they kept it out there for several years, and then uh, l last year they went bankrupt. And, uh, and uh, because she had loaned them the pots and pans, they, um, they returned them legally to her family and trust, and they, in turn, said, we know where they belong, and, and uh, we've worked with her family for years now and, and brought them back to us. So, yes, now we have the, the actual wall, but it provided such a good viewing wall that we didn't want to put the pans back where they were and close off that view, so we just made a, a separate place for them. But uh, uh, th this sort of thing happens all the time. People call us up and say, you know, I gave Julia that fish mold that's in the kitchen and so we get another story from those people and I, I, I called David Marlin, this, the photographer here, to talk to him about this portrait. I wanted to know the circumstances under which he took it and, and, and uh, what he remembers and if there are any more <laughs> shots and um, it, it's wonderful. We keep collecting in that sense but collecting actually the the presence of Julia in, in American society, and that, that makes it a, one of those projects that just doesn't, you know, it doesn't end, and that's, uh, believe me, that's a curator's dream. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to be associated with all these things, and, you know, when, National Gal when the uh, portrait gallery called me up, and when this young man, whom I've known for years, called me up and said, come talk about this picture, 
Um, it's it's a labor of love. We uh, we we care very much about this stuff, and, and we know how much you do. That's the that's the wonderful thing about it. It's a uh, it's it's wonderful to have a sure bet where everybody loves this stuff. So, you know, it's really good. Thank you so much. Well, Mina. we kept you so long. Uh, it, it, have other questions come up? Thank you. Thank you. Great fun. Thank you all for